Hey y'all, DJ Louie here, just dropping a little preview of our latest Patreon episode in which Russ and I dig into what has happened with Chloe Bailey's solo career. As many of you know, Chloe of Chloe and Hallie fame has recently, for the last year or so, been trying to roll out a solo album. She has dropped numerous singles that have ultimately been scrapped from the album, and this week her album debuted at number 119, selling just 10,000 copies, a huge underperformance for a record that was this anticipated from an established act who had the support of Beyonce, a major label, a lot of promo, et cetera, et cetera. And I have a lot of thoughts rattling around in the old noggin about what went wrong here and how... This particular rollout and mode of pop stardom that Chloe is practicing might be out of date and is connected to the struggles of other pop aspirants who are trying to get careers off the ground. So this is a story about Chloe. This is a story about how pop stardom is functioning more broadly right now and how she fits into that. And it was such a good convo. I really, really enjoyed getting to work all of this out on mic. So I wanted to include a little snippet of it here. If you're a Pop Pantheon All Access subscriber, go listen to the whole 80-minute episode on our Pop Pantheon All Access feed. And if you're not and you like this preview and you want to hear the rest of this episode, plus tons of other bonus content, get access to our Discord, get access to the guest list at Gorgeous Gorgeous, etc., etc., you can subscribe at patreon.com slash poppantheon or hit the link in the show notes of this episode and subscribe at the icon tier to get all of those perks. So here's a preview from our latest Patreon episode, What Happened? has gone wrong for Chloe Bailey. Uh-huh. Frankly, I think another important thing we should put out here that I think remains one of the biggest question marks around this and sort of differentiates this from who I think is her number one peer in the space right now, who is Normani, is that she got an album release date, despite Mm. this music being increasingly less successful. That doesn't usually happen, especially when a label, a major label, is trying to work what they're clearly trying to position as a mainstream crossover pop aspirant. If the singles aren't connecting, you're not getting a release date. I mean, we can talk about Normani in a second, but like Normani has been in a similar struggle to like find a song or so has whatever. Kim to, so is Kim Petras. And like they can't get album release dates. Like the labels are not going to put your record out. So I'm interested and I wonder about the role that Beyonce plays in this behind the scenes, how Chloe got this album release date and whether getting the album release date was a good idea at all mm-hmm. or whether maybe she did need to go back to the drawing board and have a bit of a reset because now in as we talked about like with the record and i'm sure we're gonna i don't want to mess up the chronology of the whole thing but it's like this narrative around her is flop 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 tita you know what i mean and like this record is going to go down in history for this debut number and it's all anyone's talking about and frankly people that i would have expected had listened to the album haven't even listened to it like a lot of you know just people anecdotally in my life. So I think that it's really interesting to me and I wonder what the machinations were to get that album release date. Like I'm really intrigued. That is not something we would normally see with an artist with singles that were not even charting Mm -hmm. as they were you know, with these last couple of things. That was very interesting to me. I do want to push back a little bit. I don't know if this is going to go down in history as a massive flop. Like, if we were looking at some comparable artists and they had a 10,000 first week, I don't know that it would be quite the letdown. But I do think that 
the critical reception of Ungodly Hour played into it, the association with Beyonce played into it, and the narrative that developed throughout the past year. I don't know, though. I think that for an artist who had, even as an established a career as she did, the amount of support she had, I mean, mm. she performed Have Mercy on the VMAs, on like the BET, I think on a BET award show of some sort. She had the support behind her that like this album would have been seen as a flop if it debuted at number 20 and sold 25,000 copies or whatever it was. So the fact that this record didn't debut in the top 100 albums in the country, mm. I mean, think about that. That's an, a notable underperformance. This still would have been an underperformance if it had debuted at number 19. Mm. I, th I still think we'd be saying that this was pretty disappointing given clearly how they were trying to position yeah. this record. So I was surprised. I mean, I was surprised. I, I didn't think this album was going to do well, but I was like, this is on a level that I, I was genuinely like, whoa, this is like truly like crickets mm -hmm. in a way that was surprising. And I think most labels avoid this kind of PR and narrative forming by like not allowing the artists to release a record because they don't want this to be the patina or the story around the project. You know what I'm saying? Let's spend a little bit of time teasing out the record itself. I was checking out the credits. Chloe wrote lyrics to four of the songs totally by herself. She's got lyrical credits on all but two of the songs. She's got production credits on pretty much everything, maybe not one song. There is a lot of cooks in the kitchen in terms of what is going on in this album. I counted 22 different producers who worked across it. Louis, you and I have both had a chance to listen to this album numerous times. What were your reactions? What's going on sonically? How is this different from Chloe and Halle? Is it? What are the strengths and weaknesses here? I think is it is the good question. I mean, first of all, I think the thing that I was most struck by is this album feels to me like it has almost nothing to do with Have Mercy or Treat Me, the two supposed lead singles from this album that, of course, are not included on the final track listing. Nothing on this album sounds like those songs to me. It sounds much more like a Chloe and Halle record than I would have expected. What I feel about it is it's actually a pretty decent entry into contemporary R&B sounds. It's Again, almost like the way I was describing some of the Chloe and Halle records. It's well sung. It's very tastefully produced. It's often kind of mellow or even like down tempo in a way that, you know, I guess you could say some portion of modern R&B is. I find it a little bit slow moving and I think at the end of the day too few of the songs have any sort of discernible personality and she doesn't register very much for me on this album like I just kind of get proficiency like it is a totally fine album like it is no disaster there's interesting moments on it. As I mentioned, I think she sounds phenomenal. She's really a great vocalist. But I, at the end of the day, I've listened to this album now maybe five times in the last, you know, whatever, five, six days. And like, I'm looking at this track listing and like, I couldn't tell you kind of like what each of these songs really were. Like none of them really register and she just doesn't register for me. And I think the persona that she strikes on this album is this kind of scorned woman. Like a big theme that seems to run through the album is like, she's been cheated on. Why do men cheat on her? Do you ever wonder like who else is fucking your man? 
talk about Beyonce and the connection there. Obviously, this is like Beyonce's number one area of interest in her music. <laughs> but like, it, it doesn't. It's she's not particularly convincing. Like, I I find yeah. that even when she tries to kind of make a choice like that, where she's clearly trying to like stake out a persona as like the scorned woman, I don't find myself particularly engaged or emotionally affected by anything that's happening on this album. Like, mm-hmm. I don't feel moved by it in the way that I think it's intending me to feel moved by it either. And I mean moved either in righteous anger or in sort of girl power, you know, stomp back or Mm. in emotional catharsis or pathos. I just feel nothing. Like this album just glides past me in a quasi enjoyable backgroundy music sort of way. And frankly, I wonder how many songs got recorded for this thing? When did the direction of this final product take shape as in conversation with the singles and artists that were presented to us at the beginning of this rollout? Because it just feels completely more or less disconnected from that. What are your impressions of it? It's fine. It's serviceable. I listen to quite a bit of contemporary R&B. I don't think that this is very exciting either in its lyrical content or its production choices. And I think that leads us like nicely, I think, into the counterpoint. Like for me, what this is lacking is a POV and something singular or unique. And I'm not getting who this artist is from this album. And I think that's a real problem for what Mm -hmm. people are looking for. And like that brings us to the counterpoint of SZA, who is making music that is much more complex and nuanced and layered, especially sonically. She's dabbling in rock and roll. She's dabbling in all of these different genres. It's much less down the middle. But I think what you were saying about pathos and emotive qualities, like it just could not be any more opposing in terms of how evocative I think that SZA's album is. And that really played out when I saw SZA live. Like there were just so many young women who were very clearly emotionally engaged in the material. And it is on some of the same themes of being scorned by a man, Mm -hmm. being angry, Mm -hmm. being hurt, dealing with love that has been lost. But it does it from a point of view that feels singular and it feels somehow fresh despite the fact that we have been listening to singers sing songs about these topics since the dawn of music yeah i mean it's the most evergreen thing because it's one of the most evergreen aspects of being a human on earth (laughs) so it's not that you can't redress topics that like you know are tried and true i mean pop music is constantly doing that but i i agree with your assessment and it brings me and the scissor conversation brings me into this broader you know theory that i'm trying to kind of work through i mean look let's just like put at a baseline scissor is a generational talent Mm. and artist so i i just want to make sure that we put that out there like scissor is voice of a generation right i mean that term is grandiose and has lost its meaning maybe, but like, I do believe that SZA will go down as one of the, you know, five to 10 defining artists, pop artists of this decade, right? Like she is just so deft at channeling in a stream of conscious way that feels somehow really composed thoughts and feelings that are like spilling out of her mouth that feel like they're also spilling out of your own brain and experience. Like it's just this very unique, almost scatting ability. Like I almost think of her as like a jazz singer or like jazz music or something like that. Like she's able to just kind of like open her mouth and in the most poetic, 
brilliantly melodic, diaristic, but never ponderous or overwrought, like just able to just kind of like convey things about the modern human experience that are just like concise and profound and complex and very relatable all at the same time. So like that's no easy task. SZA is a genius. Like there, it, it just is true. And I believe that to be even more so true after the, you know, massive success, both in terms of artistry and commercial of her most recent album. I mean, it's just clear that this woman is making music that is touching mankind, right? Like, it's just, that's what she's doing. The other thing I want to say about SZA is I think that that represents a new demand for pop stars, not to use a term that I got dragged for a lot earlier in the show, writ large, because (laughs) I think part of what's going on with Chloe, you know, I did a kind of semi-viralish Twitter thread that I had to mute because everybody was fucking screaming at me on Twitter, but I still stand by it, which is that I think pop stars in the ilk of Chloe, and this is not to say that Chloe doesn't write her own material. I understand that Chloe is an artist who songwrites and, you know, ha- is she's no she's not a cipher or anything. So I, I want to make sure that I say that up top. I don't see her that way. But I do think at least the way that this album got rolled out seemed to want to operate in the mold that I was referencing earlier, which is this kind of dated mold of presenting new pop stars to us with event singles that can just be shoved in your face. They're kind of inescapable and they launch these glossy old school performance oriented pop figures, right? Like artists that they sing, they dance, they've got music video budgets, they have number one songs at radio, and they just kind of pummel you with their commercial saturation. Like that is the mode of pop stardom that we were talking about earlier, right? SZA spent 10 years building to the moment that she's at right now. And the way that it That was just a preview. If you want to hear the rest of that episode, plus get access to the rest of our Patreon content, access to our Discord channel, and to the guest list for Gorgeous Gorgeous, plus so many more perks, you can go to patreon.com slash poppantheon or click the link in the show notes of this episode and subscribe at the icon tier today.